This is Strange Assembly episode 255, ranking the Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition classes. Poorly. I'm Chris Stevenson, and the jokester with me here today is Jay Earl. Poorly. But he's not wrong. We'll get to that in a minute. But first, you're you're listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to this podcast there, Apple Podcast app, iTunes, Google Play Music Stores, Spotify, almost everywhere. I used to say everywhere, but I realized that I have not yet created an Alexa skill to let you say, Alexa, play Strange Assembly. I know, I'm so behind the times. Alexa, play Dispaccio, or whatever the name of that is, that everyone does. I've only only seen it written down. (laughs) You, You could also find us on social media. We're Strange Assembly on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, really any of those social media things. Also, Patreon, if you if you want us to love you more than anything in the world. Uh, <laughs> but what uh, Jay and I are doing today is we're going to talk about the 12 Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition classes. And as we go through them, we're going to assign them ranks and things. But we do want to make clear that you should not take these numbers seriously. We're idiots. <laughs> and we're not really attempting to sit down and tell you like what this is not an effort to tell you what the most broken most powerful you know mechanical thing is you can do with a character don't get me wrong you'll see immediately that mechanics matter right the mechanics matter that's a thing but this is also heavily influenced by our own personal opinions and I don't know about Jay, but I reserve the right to have my opinions be completely different next week than they are when I record this. So, Uh, I mean, I reserve the right to have my opinions be different like two minutes from now. So um, (laughs) I reserve the right to change my opinions while we're in the middle of the podcast. Let's go. uh, Yeah, uh, exactly. (laughs) All right. So with that in mind, let's just get out of the way the ranger because he's just kind of bad and so even if you were inclined to like the concept of the ranger it's hard to feel a reason to want to play him like just be an outdoorsy fighter right yeah, exactly. Everything the ranger can do, whatever you're trying to do with a ranger, you can do more effectively in some other class. If you want to be Legolas, go be a fighter. If you want to be, you know, outdoorsy, sneaky, uh, you can be a rogue. If you like the connection with nature, go be a druid. I don't know what else ranger. If you want the dual wielding ranger, uh, go be a swashbuckling rogue or a dual wielding fighter. Yes, to to some extent, the ranger in a non-mechanical sense suffers from some of the things that in older editions were more ranger specialties being fully available to other classes, especially the fighter. It's, you no longer are like, oh, I want to be the master of two weapons, better be a ranger. I want to be the ultimate archer, better be a ranger. That's just not a thing anymore, and they're... I'm not really a big fan of the favored whatever abilities because I don't like picking major parts of my class that then don't work 
much of the time. Yeah. But even those abilities have been severely nerfed, probably in no small part because they're not great design, right? You want to shift those off into those. It's like clerics are not as heavily focused on undead as they used to be because then you have a character who switches between being extremely good and not very good at all in certain, you know, depending on which enemy you're facing. Right, or conversely, you run into the problem, especially if you're using modules instead of running your own campaign of, okay, here's this really hard one. Oh, turns out you have the right combination that this is tissue paper. Next week, okay, here's the moderately easy. Oh, you don't have the expected one, so this is super tough. (laughs) Yes, yes. So let's say, though, that you really want to play... A ranger. Do you have a, a favorite ranger archetype? I w- want to pew pew with my ranger if I if because because if I'm if I'm dual wielding back in the day if I was doing a ranger it's because I wanted to dual wield but in this edition there's if I want to dual wield I'm probably doing I'm probably doing a swashbuckler because they're hilarious or a fighter because they're mechanically superior. So yeah, if I'm if I'm forced to to be a ranger, I'm I'm gonna be a pew pew stealth through nature ranger. You know, basically a discount rogue. Okay, I'm outside of that. I'm confused. Like rangers in fifth edition don't split up dual wield or archery, do they? Or are you just talking the little goofy fighting style ability? I'm just talking about why I would pick a ranger. I don't. Okay. I, I honestly don't remember from four years ago when I read the Rangers kit what they actually do. Yeah. Uh, spoiler alert for the listeners. Chris does homework. I don't. Well, I don't know how much that... I, I wasn't really intending that question <laughs> to actually end up in the podcast, but, you know. <sighs> you had me confused there for a second because, spoiler alert... Jay is actually much more knowledgeable about, like, what's good to play in D&D <laughs> than I am. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I think just because I've been doing Adventurers League for a while, I have more actual tabletop experience these days, whereas you're more... have, have You've read all the books, whereas I've read the book parts of the books that were interesting to me. It is harder to keep track of one role-playing game and what the mechanically optimal stuff for that game is when you're going through all these different role-playing games. I mean, go to the website. There's lots of role-playing game reviews. If you think that I'm playing every one of them every week, I've got a bridge to sell you across some swampland down in Florida. Which is how he's now making money, since he obviously doesn't have a job to be able to play all of those role-playing games. Yes, yes. Well, especially especially when you, like, pop back and forth between D&D and Pathfinder. I mean, those are pretty distinctive, mechanically, relatively speaking now, but, right, there's an awful lot of thematic similarity. I, I, yeah. I consider it inevitable that at some point during this episode, I'm going to make some reference to how I like a particular class because of something that it does in Pathfinder 2nd or something that, you know. But... For ranger archetypes, <laughs> I like the hunter from the player's handbook or the horizon walker from Xanathar's Guide to Everything. And the hunter is just, right, I do attacking more. And the horizon walker has some nifty 
travel related stuff but like the other player's handbook one is the beastmaster and one of the things that for me is i'm that's the pet archetype i don't really like pets i'm not a big fan they slow the table down because now there's twice as you know this player has twice as many pieces that they have to move every round or you forget about them half the time and like two-thirds of the way through the combat you're like oh right my pet should have been doing stuff this whole time i guess i'll do it going forward my bad so that's the ranger we're sorry lane ranger well trust me we've kind of arranged this so we get more excited about the classes as we go on okay so because clearly we're both nature lovers let's follow up ranger with (laughs) druid (laughs) (laughs) yeah sorry i'm not an outdoorsy type uh, no, I I am computer nerds. Um, I mean, I, I've been at tables with druids. They have some cool stuff. It's just not my personal cup of tea, is what it comes down to. Like, uh, I, I greatly enjoyed when playing with a druid for a while, and he would randomly transform into a Tyrannosaurus Rex, and that was awesome until we started going into dungeons where it was too small to be a Tyrannosaurus Rex. <laughs> and then we were all sad. That's basically the same thing with me. It's it's not a mechanical thing at all. I just conceptually have never felt the appeal of the nature types. When you, you get to some of the other classes, like nature, one of my least favorite cleric domains. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get a little something weird there when we get to rogue. But but yeah, the, the druid just doesn't float my boat. The shape-shifting which a lot of people really love. Eh. When I'm like, oh, they can do healing, right? But I just want to play a cleric if I want to do that. Yeah, exactly. Is the, the, the thing I would go to them for would be healing. And if I'm going to be a healer, I'm just going to pick cleric because that's, I'm not going to say that's the best healer, but that's the stereotype, the stereotypical healer. Yeah. Thanks, Gygax. I'm always happy to be the healer, but I don't want to be the druid. But if if I'm going to be a druid, I, I think my favorite circle is just the circle of the land out of the core book, or maybe the circle of dreams from Xanathar's Guide to Everything, in part because the other available options start focusing on the shape-shifting or having a pet, or, and another theme that will come up here is like, or if you're going into Ravnica, you've basically got an evil circle and I'm not generally down with evil characters, so my preferred player options are basically never going to involve the I'm the evil version of whatever. Meanwhile, I, if I'm being forced into Druid, I do want to take the one thing that I feel Druids do interesting, which is the shapeshifting nonsense, so I'm going to pick one of the ones that's more shapeshiftery. The Circle of the Moon gives you more options and abilities to do with your shape-shifting so right look at you jc you're already providing the more useful information who cares (laughs) who cares what chris would like to do like if you're the person who actually wants to play the druid maybe you want to try this different thing yeah all right two down ten to go so let's go with monks so honestly monk is another one that is here because i'm not hot on the concept I mean, if I'm playing Legend of the Five Rings, 
Yeah. Oh, Tagashi monk. That might be an interesting thing, but the monks, although they've been around for ages, like monks are not a new class in D and D. I mean, they're not an ancient class in D and D, but they're not a new one either. And yet, yeah. No, I mean, my my, my thing with monks is, yeah, we're playing D and D, which to me is very European high fantasy. Yeah, if we're doing L5R, Monk is great. If we're doing D&D, I'm like, no, I want to do something that can actually wield a magical weapon that we find, not I'm punching it with my fists repeatedly. Oh, turns out it's, you know, armored. Ow, my hand. <laughs> I mean, they definitely have some cool stuff. Like, I don't know if you've heard the thought experiment. If I remember correctly, it's a tabaxi monk that can be, that, that can go faster than the sound barrier. <laughs> but, I mean, at that point, you're talking about the same stuff as the peasant railgun, so, you know, it's not actually going to happen. But it's still a fun thought experiment to figure out just how, you know, if, if what you want to do is run really, really fast and pretend you're Sonic the Hedgehog, a monk can pull that off. And the sad thing is that I really like extra movement. Yeah. It's really neat, and the the monk gets a bunch of it. I mean, you when you get up to, to 10th level, you're just sitting there with an extra 20 feet. You don't have to worry about who gets the magic item or who gets the... Like, pfft, whatever. I punch people. I mean, yeah. Extra movement is great, but there's a certain ceiling for when that's really necessary. And once you reach the point where you can run from one end of the battle to the other and back each round, it's like, I don't need any more than that. Oh, no, no, no. My my desire for extra movement definitely exceeds its worth in combat. As does my dislike of, you know, being slowed down to like a 10-foot movement speed by whatever. I, I mean, yeah, there's, there's plenty of combat rounds where, like, I stand here and hit stuff. Yes. I, <laughs> your, your movement weight as well be zero. As far as the monastic traditions I don't think you go wrong with the way of the open hand which is just really the generic monk yeah. thing you, you've you got some things that in prior editions were just defaults parts of the monk including healing yourself healing yourself never bad and then uh, I also like the way of the sun soul which appears in both the sword coast adventurer's guide and xanathar's guide to everything so if you want to be all radiant as a monk. That is uh, another option. Yeah. Meanwhile, I like the way of the shadows because you can you can make a almost as good as the rogue uh, scout out of that. If you're really persuasive with the other players at the table, you can get like that and and the rogue and a bard and druid and make a stealth party and just you know mess with the DM's plans because you just sneak up on everything. <laughs> yeah. Do you know those scenarios when you really want the party to sneak around, but you never can because there's that bloody cleric in the background? Not yeah, this the, time. The one guy with plate. Nope. We don't have any plates. We're all sneaky, sneaky. <laughs> no, and you you can really do that because all of those classes that are not like just entirely based on being massive and hitting you or being arcane spellcasters, and even some of the ones that are arcane casters, yeah, you've you've got some option that is sneaky sneaky or underhanded or whatever. Right. I mean, just even, you know, 
getting a, a nice dex and getting the stealth skill. I had one game where I was playing a wizard, and after the rogue, I had the best, second best stealth skill at the table. Okay, so I just realized that we kind of took one of those out of order. So we actually like druid better than we like monks. I just, I just was looking at my wrong thing. Eh. Oh, I know it doesn't matter at all. I'm destroying the fabric of the universe, Jay. You know me. Everything has to be. I mean. I forced Jay to rank the classes so we could figure out what the order was to present them in. Like, I mean, he's like, why are you doing this? I don't, what's the difference between eight and nine? Just do it, Jay. Yeah. Just do it. <laughs> and then Riots I messed it up. on the street, dogs and cats living together. It's pure madness, man. Pure madness. <laughs> Mass hysteria. Yeah. So our next class in the list is barbarians. So, right, barbarians are really good at having lots of hit points and smashing things, right? Basically, yes. They're also, in a pinch, if you don't have a rogue, they're really good at disarming traps. <laughs> and this is supposed to be, we say, with their faces? Yeah. No, how else would they do it? Yes, with their faces. <laughs> I don't know. You're... Or, you know, like, pit trap with their whole body... <laughs> <laughs> Spike trap with whatever, yeah, they're 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 the second best trap detectors in the game. I don't know. I've I've heard people suggest that halflings are good for this, not because the halfling is effective at it, just you know because half it's funny to like throw no, no, the halfling in front of the party. No, halflings are not good for traps. The, some of the pressure plates they're not heavy enough to set off. No, halflings are great for distracting the dragon while you run away. <laughs> yeah so the for me the sort of thematic element of the barbarian of you know being wild and out of control again not not quite as far over in nature land as the druid and the ranger but not hitting any marks for me and like if i was go for example if i was going to play a barbarian i would not be a berserker uh, although I do like the totem warrior for the 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 main thing, and there is there is something to be said for just you know hitting stuff really hard and well okay maybe they'll hit me back but I have a lot to soak it you know that it's arguably yeah. more exciting to dish out a lot and take a lot than dish out less but take less. Yeah, no, I mean just their their resilience is awesome. That is definitely if if you need just a meat shield, they're great for that. I had. One one game we were doing, what's what's what is the the anyway, the barbarian fell off the mesa that we were on and he <laughs> survived because he enraged right at the end. So he managed to survive with like two hit points left. <laughs> now you know at that point the DM ruled that like all his legs were broken, so he was stuck there. And the party didn't know he survived, so he was, you know, fairly easy, easy pickings for the local wildlife. But he did survive the fall. Okay. Jay's DM, there's no such thing as breaking your leg in Dungeons & Dragons. If a player does something so awesome as managing to fall, like, 200 feet and make it out alive, let them be awesome. Don't be like, oh, you know how you survived? Well... It pissed me off, so I'm going to kill you anyway. Yeah. Well, also, don't hold this against Jay. Or do. You know, whatever. Yeah. I'm not on that side of the country. It, it was more a, 
played for laughs because the barbarian was about to leave anyway and was looking for an out, so... Ah, okay. Yes. I mean, that that is one of those things. I mean, it, it depends on exactly what game you're playing and the vibe. Like, this isn't so much the case with, say, a horror game, but there is, you know, definitely something to the notion of, you know, sometimes it's expressed as saying yes or, like, you know, let the characters be cool. Yeah. Say yes to the dress. I don't think there's any mechanical effects to dresses, but sure, that could come up. Like, if, if, if somebody has some great idea for a dress, and they're the face for the party, and it, like, go let them roll with it. Go to town. Yeah, and, and you've, you've got to be careful with that, some right? Because they're, they're moderation in all things, and there's always going to be that player who's clever quote-unquote clever idea and well who knows maybe it even is a clever idea but it just completely breaks the rules of the game and makes their character just overshadow everyone all the time that's not good but no you know survivability that's what barbarians got <laughs> yes yes it is we got we in got spades. hit points in spades yes so our our next entry here is uh, actually one of the newbies and that is the warlock. And to me, the warlock is conceptually in a trifecta with the three, I, I think of them that way, along with the sorcerer and the wizard as these, like, primary casters. Yeah, the arcane casters, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Although they, I mean, they do cast significantly differently than the wizards and the sorcerers do. Now, for me, right, the warlock gets their power from a pact. And what the patron is that they're getting their powers from does not dictate who you are. And yet, nonetheless, the fiend and the great old one, I'm like, I don't really need to do that. So this is actually a class that moves up for me in a non-trivial way when you add Xanathar's Guide to everything. Because... The Archfey is really the only one in the player's handbook that is, like, okay. But I like the Celestial much better from Xanathar's Guide to everything. Just on a thematic level. Fair, yeah. I just like Hunger for Hadar, because that spell is ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) Warlocks just run around casting Eldritch Blast anyway I, yeah pretty much all the other stuff doesn't matter i'm like and i and there's an invocation that makes my eldritch blasts better why i'm gonna take that right no why would you go to the warlock mechanically instead of the sorcerer or the wizard is the draw there just like okay my spells are weird but one of the ways that they're weird is every time we short rest they all recharge so i am just gonna keep blasting so this is from the outside, not the inside, because I have not played a warlock, but I have been at tables with warlocks. And from what I've seen, if you put your pieces together really well, you can do some really silly, you know, just shenanigans. You can do shenanigans at the table with a warlock. You can basically get a good battlefield control going, but it's also fairly precarious. You have to, yeah, you have to. It's one of those things that. If you're the type that really wants to, you know, fully optimize your build, 
and you go whole hog in Warlock, you can do it in such a way that you will, you know, just dominate the combats, but not in a way that, like, nobody else matters, but in a way that you're handing the combat. You're basically saying, okay, I'm going to make it, you barbarian, here is your thing for you to punch. I'm going to make it super easy for you to punch it a lot. Go. <laughs> You're mixing the classes up again, Jay. Monks punch thing. Barbarians hit things with axes. The barbarian, if you tell him to punch a thing, he will punch a thing, even if he is holding the plus three axe. <laughs> that, that is a serious problem with barbarians, I have to yes. admit. Yes, yes. I don't know. So, so after the warlock, we have the other... I'm going to say relative newbie of the trifecta of arcane classes. And I think that it is, it is so weird that Sorcerer still feels kind of new to me, even though it was introduced like 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. are you kidding me, Chris? Like, what the heck? But that's sort of interesting. Like, monks, monks have been around substantially longer than Sorcerers. I mean, like, more than a decade longer than sorcerers, I believe. And yet they never felt as integrated into D&D thematically as sorcerers felt very quickly. Well, again, because this is European high magic, whereas monk feels Eastern high magic, sorcerer fits right in with the I mean, he's he's a wizard that he just has the magic. He doesn't have to learn his magic. Uh, yeah, and I think that sorcerers have differentiated more from wizards than they first started out as. I mean, yeah. th really, the, the sort of core difference back when sorcerers were introduced was, well, wizards get more... Uh, wizards get slightly fewer spells per day, but then have the entire world at their fingertips, whereas the sorcerers got a few more spells a day, but were limited to just the, the same repetitive ones. And it's changed up more, I think, since then, what the differences between the two classes are. But they're both great concepts, I think. You know, the classic learned magus and the mm -hmm. person with the magic running in their veins, basically. But I, out of the sorcerer options, because for the particular bloodlines, I think Draconic out of the two in the core book, if only because I still don't really know when on earth the DM is supposed to make you roll a die for wild magic. And then you can go a, a different way and, and take the divine soul from Xanathar's Guide to Everything, and I then you can have a healbot sorcerer, I believe. I'm not saying yeah. that's efficient, but you know. Yeah, no. I like healing. Um... I mean, for for me, I just always got to go for the amusement of being a dragonborn, dragon-type sorcerer, especially, <laughs> especially because I'm that jerk that'll be like, okay, I'm a gold dragonborn that is red dragon sorcerer. I, okay. Yeah. I understand that one could come up with a conceptual justification for that, but I have to say that if I was the DM, that's the sort of place where I my real immediate instinct is just be like, no. If you, if you are a totally dragon, fair. totally fair. If you are a dragonborn, yeah. you must have the same colors. If if I think that it's actually coming from a place of interesting background, that would be one thing. But for background to be truly interesting, 
in the long run, it has to be something that can be worked in. And how on earth am I going to work into the plot the fact that, like, you've got gold dragon bloodline from one place and red dragon bloodline from another place? And are you kidding me, man? I know you're just <laughs> trying to mess with me. <laughs> Basically, yes. I mean, that's... <laughs> That's two thumbs up for the Draconic Bloodline, although perhaps coming from different places. Yes, I think so, yes. <laughs> All right. Well, you know what? You you like Paladins uh, a bit more than I do. Why don't, why don't you introduce Paladins? Sure. Paladins are uh, plate-wearing, board and sword, divine magic. I'm a little bit going to be a little bit of a jerk here, but I'm, you know... Original D&D, you have wizard, cleric, fighter, rouge. Paladin is sort of the discount cleric, discount fighter stuck together. You're doing the full plate melee fighting of the fighter. You're doing the healing of the cleric. You're not quite as good at either of those as they are, but you are doing both. Um, and, I mean, who doesn't love the divine smiting stuff? Oh, you, you want to go way back... Paladins were almost impossible to actually be able to play. Right, because in the, the the first edition, you were just rolling stats straight down the line, and you had to have, like, two 16s, wasn't it? Well, I'm, I'm honestly not going to pretend to remember what it was in first edition, but in <laughs> AD&D second edition... Uh, you were... Yeah, you were, you were rolling 3d6 down the lines, and I think you maybe needed, like, a 16 and... One, did you need a 17 charisma... You know, perhaps a better pod. Like I know, I know. Jay said I do my homework. I didn't do that kind of homework. I did not, in fact, go back and research AD and D Second Edition. But yeah, it was incredibly unlikely to naturally roll a paladin. And may I just, as a side note, say that can you believe that we used to play like that? <laughs> that that yeah. we used to show up at tables didn't and be know like, any better. yeah, yeah, like what what character am I going to create? I have no idea. Let's see what the dice say. I'm going to be forced to play. Well, that was, that was a certain amount of fun. I mean, you know, I, I distinctly remember that everybody was always like, yeah, it says 3d6, but we don't need, like, a four-strength fighter again, so we're going to do 4d6, keep your best three. <laughs> that that was a thing that went next. Yeah. Oh, I, I do remember my 1847 strength, I think it was. <laughs> Yes, because strength had the percentile number attached to it once you... It's like, you rolled an 18 in the most important stat, so sure, let's give you another bonus. Yeah. What was it, Gauntlets of Ogre power that made you an 1800? Something like that. Something like that, yeah. Like, or I'm you just... could just go straight to 19. And... <laughs> that was harder. Uh... That was, yeah. <laughs> but by gum, my Thacko was like a, an 8. <laughs> So there. <laughs> that That is another one where you're like, who came up with that? And I know who came up with that, but... Yeah, yeah. No, the Wargamers, where it's like, haha, I have a negative 2 AC, I am untouchable! It was one of those things where, like, when, yeah, when, when 3rd Edition came out, and they're like, we got rid of Thaco, and some people were like, oh my gosh, how dare you? But really, it was like, oh my gosh, that's such a big... Wait a minute, why haven't we been doing this for the last 20 right. years? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Because the, the number on the die is all the same. The numbers are all the same. Just you no longer have 
weird charts you have to read. And, yeah, exactly. Haha, I have the best armor. I have a one on for my armor. Because I'm wearing full plate. Look out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, even if you want to go for some sort of old school and go back and play old stuff, you really should flip Thaco around. Yeah. I mean, you probably wouldn't. Because your whole point is that I'm playing old school stuff, but, you know. Anyhow, so paladins, I think, are probably the most thread-inducing thing on, like, the D&D Facebook group. Well, because what really generates the infinitely long, obnoxious, and or they're either really long or really short because they get locked threads is stuff about alignment. And things about paladins almost inevitably involve something about alignment. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and codes of uh, codes of conduct and all that. But I really like the paladin in that regard. I know some people hate paladins because they're uptight or whatever. But as you may have noticed from my speech earlier, I'm okay with that character. <laughs> I, I mean, the character I have the problem with is the guy who's like, "What? I'm a neutral evil rogue. I stole all the rest of the party's stuff." Duh. Yeah. I'm chaotic neutral, which means that I just stab everything, because that's what chaotic neutral means, right guys? Stab, stab. To me, Dungeons and Dragons is not a PvP game. <laughs> what? So, no. Yes, I, I will just let you know, if you want to play the rogue who steals stuff from other players, don't sit down at my table, because I won't let you. And... Maybe that makes me a bad DM or something, but I won't let you. If I want to play that, I'm not playing D and D. I'm yeah. probably just not. I mean, I guess, I, I guess if you were doing like a one shot or something where the idea was, but like the whole thing was PvP, you had some special setup. But really, like stealing stuff from other players is just miserable. Yeah, I mean, especially because, like, 95% of the time it happens, the other players did not consent to that. Oh, no. No, they didn't. That, to me, is a prime example of a thing that needs to be discussed in a session zero, where if if somebody really wants that and everyone else is okay with it, then I'll allow it. But I have yet to have that actually happen. Yeah, that, I, no, no, that's, you're, yeah. Or, yeah. of course, the one time the guy really, really wanted it and he bullied everyone into acquiescing, ten minutes later when it happened to him, suddenly it was no longer okay for some reason. So This is an overgeneralization, and I'm sure there's somewhere out there who's an exception to the rule. That's because the guy who wants to be like, I still the other player stuff, is a jerk. Yeah. And he wants to do it because he enjoys being a jerk to the other yeah. players at the table. It has nothing right. to do with being in character or anything like that. Yeah, he gets off on making everyone else miserable. It's that type of thing where that's the only only you know emotional reaction he knows how to invoke, so he's going to enjoy making, you know, that little sense of power of make, forcing other people to feel an emotion, even though it's a negative one, but that's all that he knows, so he's going to keep doing it. And for some reason, he, you know, then has no friends and complains on our incels and is confused, so. <laughs> so there you have it. The official strange assembly position <laughs> on people who want to their characters to steal stuff from the other characters. 
Oh, we think we can say that's unanimous here. Yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. if there's ever a strange assembly stream, that player is not welcome on it. <laughs> no. Yeah, no. Consent, man. You got to get consent. Yes. So, paladins, I like the Oath of Devotion, which is the generic O paladin, right? Yeah. Or maybe the Oath of the Crown from over in the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide. I like the Oath of Cast Healing Spells because I'm injured. Help me, Paladin. <laughs> Is that the Oath of Redemption? Or I don't know. <laughs> I, I just remember the, the Oath of uh, Redemption was a little... Uh, was a little too pacifist for my personal paladin taste, so I'm now gonna now you're making me go look at exactly what it was that the oath of the redemption did. I'm joking because again, it's another class I haven't personally played. So. <laughs> I want the oath of paladin. I need healing. Please fix that. <laughs> no, redemption is not going to help you with that. Okay. Okay. That does stuff like calm emotions. Yawn. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, I can't heal you, but I can make you feel less bad about how injured you are, so. <laughs> okay. So then we have the final and founding member of the Arcane Caster Trifecta, the Wizard. So Wizards used to be my favorite class. If you go back in the day, as it were, that was my favorite class, despite the fact that Wizards were scarily bad at low levels. <laughs> I mean, if we're, especially if we're talking 3rd edition, yeah, what it was was, if you look at the power curve, wizard is an inverted, it's low power, low power, low power, and then you get your really good spells and you spike and you're better than everyone else, as opposed to things like the fighter, which starts pretty high and then just, you know, it does not grow that much, so it's quickly outclip outclassed by the said wizard. I'm sorry, when when I said the day, I didn't mean 3rd edition, man. <laughs> oh, okay. Wizards used to be really bad. I mean, you'd have a wizard, like, at least 3rd edition gave you max, I, like, if I recall correctly, 3rd edition at least gives you max hit points from your first hit die. That's true. You you would actually have all five, all four hit points, uh, not just, you know, not just the kobold looks at you funny and you kill over level of hit points. <laughs> yes, yes, you could, a second edition wizard could just, like, you could, I hit you with my dagger for three points, I go down. Yeah, yeah, I mean, in for, in, in third edition, the, the kobold had to at least sneeze in your direction before you would just keel over, so you had that going for you. To me, I mean, like, this is a high fantasy game. Wizards are the high fantasy class. Agreed. They're the ones with the giant list of arcane spells. They can do all the crazy stuff. They may have to wait till tomorrow, <laughs> depending on what you have memorized, but they can have that tool in their toolbox. I think that the wizard has gone down for me in a little bit, in, in no small part because, right, we were talking earlier about the spread of role-playing game stuff that I do now, and the wizard, more than anyone wants to have an encyclopedic knowledge of all of their spell options. And you have to, at least thank God, you don't have to deal with material components anymore. Do you remember when yes. you had to do that? Oh. Lord, that oh, was yes. awful. But you, you have all these different options. You have to keep track of a spell book. And 
I mean, maybe you can just have like always the one thing memorized and you have your go-to list, but right. The sorcerer, there isn't a go-to list. You've got what you've got. You have to, at the time you level the character up or make the character, you decide what the spells are. And then they're pretty much locked in the wizard. You're always getting access to new stuff. You're always searching out new stuff. You always have to keep track. And, and when I was younger, that was an upside because yeah. I had that encyclopedic knowledge because this was the thing that I was doing every single week. And it was just fun to memorize that. That ceased to become appealing as my life became more busy and my role playing has spread out. So I still really like the wizard, but you know, he's not my number one anymore. Yeah. Wizard is definitely high up for me because uh, again, like I was talking about with the warlock, you can, if, First off, Wizard is one that you can take a lot of different directions depending on what you want to do out of your Wizard. An Illusion Wizard is going to be very different from an Evocation Wizard. It's going to be very different from a Destruction Wizard. But also, it's something that you can you can pretty easily make something... Make, like, one of the better... Other than the fact that they don't have healing, you can make one of the best support characters out of a Wizard. So... The last time I played a wizard, I found there's a guide online. Anybody who wants to play a wizard, Treat Monk's Guide to Wizards, or How to Be a God. Which, here, it's not, you know, like, Old Testament, rain down fire and destruction god. It's like, Greek god, subtle, and no one notices, but you're manipulating everything. And basically, it's a way to build a wizard where... If you're doing it right, you are in control of the battlefield, but everyone else is contributing and is doing stuff, and you're just making everyone better. So, like, I was playing this, and my go-to spell was slow, because what would happen is, okay, there's, like, three or four really nasty dudes. Okay, I'm going to slow all of them, and now there's three or four kind of annoying dudes with a lot of hit points that the fighter and the barbarian can go bash on until they're dead, but they're not doing a huge amount of damage back to us. So the cleric can now, instead of being triage healing, can actually get in and do do proactive stuff too. That's why I, Wizard is going to be one of the high ones for me, is because you got... Again, first off, you've got a lot of options. You don't get to melee fight. If you want to melee fight, there's other things. You don't get to heal. There's If you want to heal, there's other things. But if you just want to control the battlefield, that is the best place to be it in my, my, my book. Also, you get to cast illusions, Michael. Tricks are what... I'm not going to continue that because we're a PG podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but people know the quote, so... Well, some of us do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my favorite kind of wizard is still just an evoker. I mean, there are many, many interesting things you could do with a wizard, but blowing stuff up is still a classic. Blowing stuff is a classic. I'm, uh, as you could probably have guessed, I'm the illusion one. I like messing around with stuff. If you've got a good DM who will roll with it, there is some really fun shenanigans you can do with illusions. Yeah, I don't think I would uh, 
Oh, you'd have to pay me to play an illusionist. There's not that there's <laughs> no no. I mean, it's just not my thing. I mean, yeah, I no, and that's fair. It's not everyone's cup of tea. Yeah, evokers, abjuration, transmutation. I conjuration can be strong, but I just like I'm not a fan of like a pet ranger. I don't need to summon pets either. Yeah, but no. Uh, you want to talk about ultimate versatility with your magic? You want to go back to uh. Third edition and play a Mystic Theurge. That was a heck of a thing. <laughs> that was the prestige class that was basically a dual class cleric wizard. That once you went into yeah. the prestige class, you got the full spell casting for both. <laughs> it was like the biggest spell list ever. <laughs> I have all the spells! Yes, you could do all the support stuff and heal, because what else does a cleric do? Let's be serious. Uh... <laughs> Alright, so now we're into our let's call them big four and i feel a little sad that the wizard isn't in the big four because mm. really the wizard is the big four by process of elimination you can figure out what the big four are so we have like basically tied third and then tied first but let's go with the one that feels weird for you know his historical reasons to have in our big four which is the bard and i know you are in love with the bard so go jay Okay, Rick, some of us like the bards. So, in general, you can probably guess from listening to this, I'm the type of person, jack-of-all-trades, master of none, and that's the bard to me, is you can do anything. Yes, you're not going to be as good of a melee fighter as, as the fighter or the barbarian. Yes, you're not going to be as good of a healer as the cleric. Yes, you're not going to be as good of a spellcaster as the wizard. Yes, you're not going to be as good of as stealthy as a rogue. But you can be all of those without having too many sacrifices on any one of them. And so, especially because my D&D primarily for the last several years has been Adventurer's League, not the same table over and over again where you could pick and say, okay... We're all going to play this game together and divvy out the roles so that everything's covered. I'm doing Adventures League. Who knows who else is going to show up at the table that night. I roll up with my bard. If I've done it right, I can be like, okay, what does the table look like? Oh, everybody's a wizard? Okay, I guess we need some healing. I'm the healer now. Uh, oh, we've got like four healers? Uh, I guess I'm doing some range damage, you know. Oh, we don't have a rogue? Uh, great, I'll go uh, pick some locks and send the barbar- and heal the barbarian after he opens up all the traps for me. So you know it's it's very much a class that can that is very flexible that can do a lot of things. And also, if you want to do a bard, here's a little little cheat for you. One of the generic bard things you get at level ten, you get to grab spells off any spell list. One of the the College of Lore. At 6th level, you can also get to do this. Unless I've missed something and they've changed this, it's just the spell level, whatever it's written on. So bards normally go 1st to ninth level for spells, but that's not true of, say, Paladin only goes up to 5th level spells. So their 5th level spells, they are getting at, like, level 17. You're getting your 5th level spells at 10, so if you grab their 5th level spells, they're balanced for a level 17, and you can do a lot of shenanigans with those. So just a little tip for, for the bards there. <laughs> yeah, so 
I'm of mixed feelings on bards, which is weird for how high we're putting them here. I know I, I, I so here's the thing that I don't like about bards: the part where they're bards. <laughs> like, could I have a bard that doesn't have the musical instrument stuff, but has the other features of being a bard? Because uh, yes, yes, see my slam poet bard. <laughs> But I like all of the mechanical stuff that the bard has. I mean, I like like having the versatility of being able to heal or do you know more aggressive things. I like the ability to have lots of skills if you want through the College of Lore. That's my favorite bard college. Mine too. Yeah. It's weird. I I feel like I like this part of the bard more now in that like I like being the face of the table at the table more because more than I used to I enjoy doing the social interaction part of it and for D&D right that often is segregated into one particular part of the adventure and you know you do the talking and then it ends with the DM going okay that was a nice speech Give me a persuasion check. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You want to be a character who can actually do that. And so the, the the bard is one of the classes that can do that. And I know that it's also possible to play a D&D table where everything is just very heavily role-played and there isn't any you know one specific person who's the face because everybody is going to be doing that from time to time. But, but there's also definitely play, including, I would imagine, Adventurer's League, where... Yeah, no, it is really a, a specific segmented part yes. of an adventure. But it's odd to me, and I, I don't know how I got here. I played AD&D 2nd Edition Bards. I have, like, the complete Bards handbook, I think it is. It's the only one of those I actually have, because I... Like, when you hit 3rd Edition is when my D&D collection gets very thorough. Once you're back in 2nd Edition, I was younger, without so much with the money. Yeah. So I don't just have everything, but I have the Bard book because I played a Bard in an ongoing D&D thing in, in, when I was in undergrad. And it's just weird that I have this history with Bards and I have these particular things that I really like about Bards. And yet, like, the actual fundamental concept of the class is something that I kind of roll my eyes at. I, I don't, I don't, yeah. how, how did I end up here? I don't know. Welcome to my own therapy session, guys. Okay, so the other character class that is tied with the bard overall, but is actually my favorite character class, is clerics. So, I like healing people. I know that there are a significant number of D&D players out there, or not just not just D&D players, but like other fantasy game players, who hate to be the healer. Yes. Who think that it is incredibly boring for your big, unique thing to be healing everybody else. I like healing everybody else. And the rest of us appreciate that, because yes, healing is important. Right, a lot more than used to be the case. There are other classes that could do healing too, like yes. the bard. But I like that, and this isn't really part of it, but you're saying the other people appreciate that? I'll tell you what, if you're at one of these games in you know, D&D or other fantasy role-playing games where you are sitting down with a group of people that you haven't played with before and like everybody's bringing their own character... People get pumped when you sit down with the cleric. <laughs> oh, oh God, yes they do. Uh, the flip side of this is I still remember one of the first 4th edition games I played was an Adventures League game. I showed up, there was like seven of us, 
every single one of us was some sort of damage dealer, like rogue or wizard or something. We get to the first combat. I roll poorly for initiative. I only get one action that whole combat. And by the end of it, three people were down. Good lord. Yeah. So yes, clerics, please. More. Yes. A cleric is a class that has face ability. They're charisma based, and that's oh, that's I forgot. That's one of the upsides of the sorcerer too. The sorcerer can actually do persuasion as a class skill and is charisma based. So, especially the celestial, uh, when you when you pull over to that, it, it gives you a good reason to be the face. But the cleric can do face type things too, and I also like it. It's a, a crutch, but the religion aspect of it. Paladins can have this too, or druids, but they're more of a a static sort of philosophy. Paladins less so than they used to be, right? Because you have the different oaths. But right. just picking a, a deity for a cleric gives you an instant jumping off point for role-playing that character. You have just picked the most fundamental thing about this person's life. And it lets you quickly drive into ways to roleplay them and you know you can think about them in terms of in what ways are they or are they not similar to a stereotypical member of their faith and just go with that and I think that that is really handy too uh, again especially in a world of pickup games uh, you don't have a big developed backstory or you can have a big developed backstory but it doesn't matter it's not going to fit into the world it's not going to integrate with the backstories of the other players at the table. And I like that because it, it gives you a a relatively recognizable way to give some personality to the character that's not a caricature. Because it's, it's easy to do caricatures at something like an Adventurer's League table. An Adventurer's League table. And it's kind of hard sometimes to do good character in that sort of, you know, throw everybody together setting. And I think the cleric helps with that too. And my favorite domain is life because, I mean, that's why I'm a cleric, right? To heal right. your people? Yes. So, clerics. Okay. So we have two left and we all know what they are. So let's do rogues first. Why are rogues awesome, Jay? I still haven't outgrown that part of me that's like, ooh, dark and mysterious and sneaky sneaky and also just that, you know, I like that, you know, I'm out of it. I'm somewhat safe in the shadows. You're not going to see me. I'm hiding. Oh, but I can still stab you. So yeah, rogues just will always have that little place in my heart because that's, you know... Rogues are a class that I like a lot more than I used to when they weren't called rogues. <laughs> Here's the thing. The, the the sort of things that I've commented on now of like what kind of alignments I like or, or whatnot, those really mattered less back then. I mean, because we called thieves thieves, but they didn't really matter that they were thieves. They were just like that dude who knows how to unlock doors and find traps. Right. And disable them. I mean, which is still you know, the thing for rogues, right? I mean, it doesn't have to be, but if I'm a rogue, I'm going to be proficient in thieves' tools and yes. then be double proficient in them because 
if you're a rogue and you can't do that, why are you a rogue? Why are you yeah, a rogue? Yeah, I, I don't like traps blowing up in my face. That's what the <laughs> barbarian's for. I want to, as a rogue, my goal is to disable the traps, yes. There's just a lot that rogues can do. One, they bring a unique skill to the table, which is always nice. It's, you know, it's a thing that you really want to have. There's seven different ways to hit somebody, but barbarian faces notwithstanding, there's really only the one way to get rid of the traps. Yes. They have bunches of skills, relatively speaking. I like having lots of skills. They can be the face. I like the option to be the face. And so there's a lot of things. In fact, my least favorite thing about playing a rogue is if other players insist on treating you like a murder hobo thief. <laughs> like, oh, you're the yeah. rogue. You're just going to steal our stuff. You're going to like, no... I'm not. I'm not a thief. Yeah. I'm a rogue. There's actually right. a difference now that we've differentiated that. <laughs> See, no, I'm in the I'm in the tradition of yes, yes. I'm I'm a horrible thief, but I'm on your side. I'm gonna steal their stuff. I need you guys <laughs> to help me steal their stuff. We're Ocean's Eleven, and we're the Ocean's Eleven. Help me steal from them, not me, not you. I'm a lawful thief, or maybe a neutral thief, but like I'm a thief who understands that like. You know, we're on the same side. But also, even in combat, I, I don't know if I have a thematic attraction to specifically the sneaking, but it is nice to have the, like, mobile little dodging around everywhere. And yeah, stabbing people in the back is less appealing than flanking them, even though it's the exact same thing. Yes. Well, yeah, I mean, that's one of the things I like about rogues, too, is, I mean, they're not as flexible as the bard, but you do still have a couple of options. You can play the, you know, the Skyrim stealth archer. You can play the mobile stabby-stabby. I also really like the swashbuckler. Ha-ha! I am just flamboyant and all I'm swinging from chandeliers and stabbing people and... That guy... Uh, is is a, a rogue or a bard, and so that's that's another thing I like to be is you know the the finesse fighter is how I would put it that you know if we're trying to classify out the classes, one of those classifications is melee fighter, but dex based, not strength based, and and if you're doing that, rogue is your go go to because that's what they want to be. So yeah, swashbuckling mobile nimble fighter type yeah and actually the uh, rogue for me rogue is a class that is as high as it is in fifth edition in part because of xanathar's guide to everything because my favorite three archetypes for the rogue are in xanathar's guide to everything i mean one of them's also in the sword coast adventurer's guide but the swashbuckler, and the scout, and the inquisitive. Because I'm not really in love with any of the options in the player's handbook. The assassin does poison stuff. I don't care. The thief does some stuff that I'm interested in, and then does actual thief stuff, which I don't want to do. And then, okay, I mean, you can do the arcane trickster, but that really feels different from a rogue. <laughs> it does. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the idea of the thief, but something about the implementation, I think it's more that the thief is not a good party type. That, you know, the the thief is, if you want to make a rogue scout, that they go scout the dungeon. Well, or you could just be a scout. I mean, 
and the scout doesn't specifically do anything with scouting ahead in a dungeon, but there's just a lot of, you can move a little bit as a reaction, you get more skill proficiencies, you get faster, and then you get other stuff at higher levels that doesn't really count, but I just like the stuff that the the scout does. I don't know, but the the rogue is uh, nifty. Just respect your rogues. Your rogues, I mean, maybe you're sitting with that jerk murder hobo steal your stuff guy, but you, you might not be. Exactly. Just because a lot of the murder hobos will pick rogue, don't stop damning the other 5% of rogues who are good players <laughs> just because of that small 95% of murder hobos that are drawn to the class. It's just not fair. <laughs> Oh, come on. It's at least 7%. (laughs) All right. So that leaves only one thing left. Rogues again? No, not rogues again. Remember how you said said a rogue could be a finesse fighter? Yes. Yeah, so let's just go with fighters. Okay. And I have to say that fighter, especially if I'm going way, way, way in the Wayback Machine... Fighters got to be like most improved as far as being interesting, right? <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, if you go way back to second edition, like fighters boring as sin. But fighters now actually get options. So, I'm going to go off of this. I was actually this weekend at a con where I was in a panel that was hosted by Jeremy Crawford, who's the lead rules designer and managing editor for D&D who was talking about some of the design decisions making 5th edition. And so I thought this was really interesting that he picked on the fighter as being emblematic of one of the big design decisions that you have the champion archetype, which is very straightforward. It's a very, very straightforward archetype that you don't have a lot of decisions you have to make. You just get stuff and you call it a day. And on the other side of it, you have the Battlemaster, which has all of the options and a lot of picking and a lot of micromanaging. These are both in the same class, and that's because they're appealing to two different types of players. And I just thought that was fascinating that, yeah, I want to put Battlemaster because I, I like doing that fiddly stuff. I like optimizing and maximizing and using these maneuvers in clever ways and being smart and stuff. But I also get that, you know, there have been... I mean, there have been times where it's just like, okay, I just want a character and I just want to go. And so you have the champion for that. And it makes it easier to bring in players when you have things like that, where it's just like, here, you don't have really have to make any decisions about the character. You can just play. And then the third fighter archetype in the PHB is the fighter with spells. Yes. Even before you pick your martial archetype for the fighter... You have to pick a fighting style. I mean, and that is something that's really different. We, we kind of touched on it in the in the thing about the ranger, but you can actually say, I want to be a bow fighter. Last time I did a fighter, that's what I did, is a Battlemaster bow fighter, and he, he pew-pewed real good. Again, historically for the fighter, that was often sort of a suboptimal thing to focus on because you really wanted to have big heavy armor that crushed your dex bonus, which made you a terrible archer. Yeah, yeah. Back in the day, fighter meant strength. And that's still, you know, right, most of the options 
are still uh are still strength based with heavy armor, yes. Yeah, but it's there. And I do think that the for me at least, the opposite of the rogue, I think that the three martial archetypes that are there for the fighter in the player's handbook are the three best ones, or by by which I mean my favorites. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yes. Agreed. Neither of us had Fighter as our very favorite. Basically, like, I had picked Cleric, uh, Jay's favorite is Bard, but then each of us had Rogue and Fighter as two and three in differing orders. But running around and hitting stuff, that's still kind of the fundamental thing to do in Dungeons & Dragons. And No, it very much is. That's yeah. what the Fighter does. So there, I guess that's it for our quote-unquote ranking. <laughs> of such the, as it is this this week yeah Dungeons and Dragons class as well and I, I think it's right. we didn't coordinate or anything before we came up our list but I I think it's telling although I'm not positive exactly what it's telling of maybe it's only telling about us being old <laughs> fogies but that uh, with, with yeah. the exception of Bard squeaking in there like four of our uh-huh. top five classes are Fighter Rogue Cleric Wizard yes the right? classic four pillars yeah yeah, yeah, and then Bards. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I'm sorry, but Bards, uh, again, I'm the guy, I want to be flexible, and Bards are that. Bards Bards can, when you lay out the grid of all of the options of where you can take characters, Bard can go in any single one of them. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, there are, there are a lot of good options. I mean, I suppose... I guess out of the 12, there's probably four of them that I'm really just unlikely to sit down and play. Druid, Barbarian, Monk, Ranger. Yeah, same. It would it would have to be like, okay, I, I want to just literally try every class just to see what they're like. That would be the only way I see myself playing one of those right now. I think for a lot of these, maybe not... Okay, maybe not Fighter, you know, because that's <laughs> pretty good, but... We kind of have different reasons for wanting to do it. Like, like we both like wizard, but I'm not touching an illusionist. That's your favorite thing. <laughs> I, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, and like uh, you mentioned, uh, I think it was ranger and or druid that you don't want pets. Whereas, uh, uh, again, I was at a con con this weekend, talking, listening to people talk about D and D, and one guy was like. Oh, I'm a I'm a teacher at a middle school for girls, and I do D and D as a class, as a as a extracurricular. So it's all middle school girls, and they all want pets. <laughs> so I I think that you you know they might all be rangers in that party. There aren't that many pet options. There are familiars. Oh, that is one of the nice things about the warlock. You get a pseudo dragon. Have I? I just want to say out there, like, is the pseudo dragon not the most awesome familiar one can have? I mean, oh, oh, he he is, yes, no, because if nothing else, for scouting purposes, he just hovers up and and you know troubles come and he spots it first. Also, it's a little dragon on your shoulder. Well, yes, that too. <laughs> <laughs> Who cares about the mechanical benefits of the pseudo dragon? <laughs> you have a little dragon on your shoulder. If you should have learned anything from Kitty Pride, it's that having a little pseudo-dragon is awesome! Uh, I've learned the wrong thing. I learned how cool phasing through walls could be. That is a really 
hard mechanic to manage in a role-playing game, I gotta tell you. Just just a smidge, yeah. Yeah. Do you ever notice that whenever you encounter a an adventure with a high-level dungeon, the description always starts off with, this dungeon is magically protected. It cannot be scried. It cannot be teleported through. No yep. one can... <laughs> Here are all of the high-level things that would break this that we have prevented because we don't want to work around them. <laughs> yes, because the an actual dungeon does not work when you can just walk through the walls. It turns out, or or disintegrate the walls, or I mean, those are the sturdiest walls you have ever seen are in a high-level dungeon. I well, yeah, because nothing's they're getting not, past those. They're not technically thick enough to actually support the layers above them, and yet somehow they do. That's not really the part I was concerned about, but you're, <laughs> that may be I, true. I know, I'm just side-joking, because, um, yeah. Because <laughs> that's what you do. It is. Yes. <laughs> Every dungeon, it turns out, is as impenetrable as Undermountain, because it has to be. So, uh, that is it for our uh, Dungeons & Dragons little overly digression and ancient history filled walk through the character classes. It is entirely possible that in the next couple of episodes you will hear me and someone who's not Jay doing the same thing for the Vampire of the Masquerade clans. So hey, we'll see how that goes. Okay, I mean, I'm just gonna jump in on brouhaha, because who doesn't like saying brouhaha? And then I quickly stop remembering because it was you know, it's it's <laughs> years since I last played Vampire. And and that's why it will not be you <laughs> on the podcast. You can come back when we want to have arcane discussion about which are the best species in D&D 5th or 5th edition. Answer else, by the way. Um, I'm, I'm going to slight disagree that it depends on what class you're playing. Well, that's extremely true. Also half-elves. Half-elves are good. Yeah. But yeah, you're you're not wrong about the whatever is best suited to your class. I can't really disagree with you. But anyhow, we will be back in the future with Vampire and D&D and board games and card games and Lord only knows what. But it is time to wrap this one up. You have been listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to this podcast there, the Apple Podcast app, the Google Play Music Store, or a variety of other places. See that long discussion Jay and I had back at the beginning of the episode. You can also visit us on the social medias. We are facebook.com slash strangeassembly, at strangeassembly on Twitter, and strangeassembly on Instagram. You can also reach me directly. I love to hear your various comments, criticism, and feedback. I am Chris at strangeassembly.com. But until then, for Jay Earl, I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming. I attack the gazebo. I attack the darkness.